The Vampire and Lycan clans had been at war for centuries before I was born. Their endless conflict hidden from the human world. I was turned by a vampire and given the strength to avenge my family against the Lycans, and I was good at it. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's Underworld Retrospective Series. The Selingo's trouble surely follows. Hosted by Arnie. Information is power, and I collect it. With a passion. Jacob. I know exactly what you are. And Stuart. He's too powerful for you alone. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. The sun will burn you to ashes out there, or you can die with some grace in here. We hope you enjoy the show. Show me what you have. Yes, sir. Today we're discussing Underworld, starring Kate Beckinsale, Scott Speedman, Michael Sheen, Shane Brawley, and Bill Nighy, directed by Len Wiseman. This is the now-playing podcast host who's bled for you once already and is going to be bleeding again four more times, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is the co-host who deals death to bad movies, Jacob. Why are we here? <laughs> Why are we discussing Underworld? I mean, there's like five of these, so they're super popular, I guess. Well, let's just put it out there. Now playing this summer is going big on Twilight. And it wasn't so long ago that sparkly vampire romances were a really big deal. It's worth pointing out that Underworld predates all of the things that you're thinking about. Before a Twilight book was even published, this was on screen. Before Being Human, the UK version. Before Lost Boys 2. Before Vampire Diaries. Before True Blood. This was the first werewolf and vampire phenomenon. And a modest hit. But it was after Dracula 2000, so I gotta think Dracula 2000 is what we should be covering. There's three of those. Nah, but there is something very specific about what we're here to talk about. There are lots of things that have vampires or werewolves in it. Eh, less werewolves. But definitely vampires all over the place. But gothic romance? The way that this presents? I just want to put it out there. This movie was pitched as Romeo and Juliet with vampires and werewolves. Sometimes Romeo and Juliet in The Matrix. Yeah, definitely The Matrix. That's a huge influence here. Yeah, that to me feels, again... It was a time when vampires went sparkly. Dracula 2000 was not sparkly, but this movie's kind of sparkly. And I think that that's what we're here to talk about. This movie is gray and only gray. I want to know what sparkles, because I could barely see anything with all the shades of gray going on here. Jacob, I need to come over to your house because your TV's stuck on 50 shades of gray. This movie is green, like pea soup, matrix screensaver green. Whatever it is, it's monotone. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. We can't talk about Twilight on our donation feed, Silver Level, until we talk about that movie. That's my opinion. And that's, again, it's five popular movies, or at least a couple that are popular, and then a couple more. <laughs> a five-movie series that, yeah, just was waiting for us to cover. And I just want to go ahead and say, 
Underworld is the franchise that almost kept me off of now playing entirely. <laughs> I almost didn't join now playing because I had friends who had written a script. They got into Spyglass Entertainment. You know Danny McBride, the comedian who wrote this? No, no, hold that. <laughs> uh, it, no, it was being passed around to a lot of different people. And before this movie even came out, they said, we got this music video guy that wants to make it, Bill Paxton. It's going to be a big deal. I was like, ooh. And they were referring to Lynn Wiseman. And they had a relationship with him for many years. When Arnie, you came to me and approached me about being on this, I was like, yeah, I'm conflicted. I'm an honest person. I want to make it in the industry. Long ago, I actually thought that I might actually not talk about movies, but make them. How can I turn around and say what I really think about this piece of shit? <laughs> and then like, go around and be like, Lynn, I love it. That's the honest truth is I felt like there's no way I can cover these movies without saying my opinions of them. I've seen the first two. But yeah, I just didn't know if I could do it. And so I begged on it. We almost didn't even do Die Hard because I'm like, Lynn Weisman directed that one. I can't say anything <laughs> about him. But needless to say, my friend's movie never got made. Bill Paxton has died and Lynn Weisman does TV now. So I don't even think he makes movies. So it's all good. I'm ready. I'm ready to rumble. You can be honest. You had to wait for everyone else's careers to die. And then we could discuss Underworld. I do remember that... Back when we started doing retrospective series, we were far more slaves to the release schedule than we are now, because we only covered five or six movies in theaters per year back then. And so I remember one of these Underworld films coming out and being like, it's horror-ish. We cover a lot of horror. It's getting a sequel. Let's put it on the schedule. And Stuart's like, I cannot cover Underworld. We cannot cover Underworld. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was in my clause of my contract. Again, it's not like I thought I could piggyback on the wings of my friend. It's not like I wanted to work with Lynn Wiseman. But there was a genuine possibility that I might be in the room with him or work with people that have worked with him. Again, I put it out there to anyone listening. If you think that you want to work in the movie industry... Never put your opinions out about what you think of movies, because I believe that could really torpedo your career. Hollywood works on everyone loving everything that everyone makes. I've been in the same room as the guy who directed Fanboys and smiled at him and said I admire his work. I lied my ass off to that guy's face. Wow, that is <laughs> high-level lying there, man. That was an awful film. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to be honest. <laughs> what are the chances he'd listen to the podcast where I rip him apart? <laughs> the chances that he'd listen to it? No, but they have assistants. They have people. If they're investigating you to work with, yes, someone will find out what you said. <laughs> I definitely, you can best bet that the chickens come home to roost when you put out on the internet. I mean, we don't have to educate people on this. The internet has been around long enough for people to know when you hang out dirty laundry, it comes back on you. And so, yeah, I just wasn't sure of what was going to happen there. And it took me many years to realize I'm much happier saying my truth on a podcast than, yeah, telling people in a room I love their shitty vampire and werewolf movies. And diehard movies. And Total Recall movies. <laughs> but it's also worth pointing out that it wouldn't just be about protecting the feelings of Lynn. People do love this series. I have met them. When I rented this movie, I told them, oh, I think this one is not going to be good. But I watched it with a group of people and they were in awe. They thought it was super cool. And all the things I was just sheepishly pointing out about not making sense <laughs> didn't bother them a whit. 
Yeah, I watched this. I've only seen this first one, but I watched it because of a fan of this series. It was like 2006, only the first one to come out. And one of the managers I worked with at Kinko's Copies when I was doing that, you would look at him and you go, oh, this guy, he's a total Chad. He's getting the chicks, good shape, good looking guy, seems really cool. And then like one day we're just talking and he's like, you know what stores I really like in the mall? Please tell me it's Hot Topic. Mm. No, he's like, I like those stores where they sell like those dragons wrapped around a crystal ball. Like those are so cool. And I'm like, okay. Head shops, okay. Not head shops. No, these are just stores with crystals and like dragons. And like, I'm like, oh, you're a fantasy person. That doesn't go with the image I have of you. And then he's like, yeah. And then there's this new Underworld movie that's coming out. They're coming out with the sequel. That first one was so good. I'm like, okay, maybe there's something to it. I've never heard anyone recommend it. So I checked it out. Like I rented it and I watched it. And then I never thought of this franchise again. Or that person. Nope. (laughs) Never took his recommends again after that. I went and saw this movie in theaters. It was a similar story to you, Jacob. I had several friends who were big into that LARPing of Vampire the Masquerade. And they kept trying to get me involved in it and I try to be a good friend and show interest in things my friends are interested in, but I was never going to LARP. Do they have ceremonies where they drank, like, grape juice and pretended it was blood? That kind of LARPing? Yeah. Where, like, apparently, if they stood with their arms crossed in front of them in, like, a Wakandan salute, that meant they were invisible and you couldn't (laughs) interact with them and they'd slide along walls. Amazing. Give me all their (laughs) film recommendations. I want them all. (laughs) And in trying to be a good friend... I wasn't interested in playing the game, but I did play Vampire the Masquerade game for PC, and then all they kept talking about was this Underworld movie, and they're like, it's like Vampire the Masquerade, only they just made it a movie. And I'm like, well, I like movies, I saw the trailer, I like vampire stuff, I was heavy into Buffy, it was closing its run up, I liked Blade a lot, so it didn't take A huge push to get me to go and see this. And when I left, I can't say that I was as enthusiastic about it as they were. There was something to what they said, though, because in researching this film, it did turn out that this is so close to Vampire the Masquerade, Vampire the Masquerade sued their ass off with 17 counts of copyright infringement, over 80 points of unique similarity between their game and this movie. And just to be clear, Vampire the Masquerade is a live-action, role-playing, like Dungeons & Dragons, but with costumes. How can there be a storyline? You create the storyline, so how could it be similar? Well, first of all, there's this whole scenario with vampire councils and elders and things. The aristocracy part, okay. And apparently there were novels set in the Vampire the Masquerade universe. So those novels also had points of similarity to this movie. I don't know that Lynn Wiseman had time to play Vampire the Masquerade. This movie was written by Lynn and some of his stuntmen friends. Danny McBride, you mentioned, is not the Danny McBride who is writing Halloween movies now, who has been a comedic actor. It is a stuntman who's in this movie briefly. And then the other guy, the guy that plays Ray's, the lichen in here, Kevin Grievous. He also contributed to the story. This was basically, they were guys that had worked in special effects and behind the scenes. Lynn had done a lot of music videos. They all liked the same things, and they all thought, 
Let's come up with a project that shows all of our talents. Well, one of them or their friends must have played vampire because that thing was settled in a confidential settlement. They don't pay the money if there isn't the case there. But yeah, this is stuntmen coming together to make the Matrix, right? I mean, this screams Matrix, the clothes, the cinematography, the gunplay. That's what I kind of thought it was when I was watching the trailers. And maybe it even hit that sweet spot more than the Matrix sequels that would have come out in between this movie's September 2003 release. Keep in mind, Reloaded disappointed people, and Revolutions was out and out a rejection. So this seemed to get people what they were looking for more than what the Wachowskis had done. If you needed people in trench coats, this is the film. I want to know, though, is this just part of the Matrix retrospective? Because the Merovingian was talking about there being vampires and werewolves in the Matrix. Is this just like a spinoff series? I had that thought. I had to look up to see when that film came out, because I'm like, did they just take that and like decide to make that a franchise? Because, yeah, so much of this looks like the Matrix with slow-mo and the costumes, the color palette. I don't think you need to steal anybody's idea in order to come up with, wouldn't it be cooler with vampires? That's an easy go-to. You could come up with anything, anything that's popular and say, put fangs on it, and it's a new thing. I think people do that all the time. It's called high-concept pitching. Yeah, I agree, Stuart. Like, oh, you got vampires on motorcycles and machine guns? I am there. Like, that sounds like my kind of film. That Italian demon film, like, where they got the motorcycle in the movie theater? Great. Love it. Yeah, I'm there for the high concept. I could see the draw there. Yeah, this thing, it didn't cost much because these guys knew how to work behind the scenes. They were inexperienced. They didn't get paid. They knew how to make things look good. Mm, We'll discuss. $22 million budget. Say what you will, this movie cost a fraction of what it could have. And yeah, made $50 million in the U.S., $50 more internationally. That's a tidy little profit. And I keep getting confused about this franchise because I keep thinking it stars Mia Jovovich. In addition to having a lot in common with The Matrix, man, do I get this confused with some Resident Evil. In fact, at one point, my wife walked in while I was watching the first one of these movies and went, oh, are you watching Resident Evil? I thought you already did that series. Yeah, what has Kate Beckinsale done besides this? All I can think is Van Helsing, which is another vampire movie. And that came after this. Who is she? Why does she get this franchise? Yeah, this is interesting. Kate Beckinsale had the career of Kate Winslet. If it involved corsets and British countrysides, she was your girl. But Kate would take her roles, and so she was in the ones you didn't see. It was more or less her career in the 90s. And she met a nice gentleman who was also a British actor, Michael Sheen. They fell in love. They had a daughter at the end of the 90s. And things were going well for them. But she wanted more. And she said, I want to be a big star. And she thought her ticket was Michael Bay. And she was cast as the romantic interest in what was supposed to be Titanic 2, but ended up being Pearl Harbor. And because that movie wasn't a hit, she kept looking for those kinds of projects. This is where the tragic love story comes in real life. She gets offered Underworld, which is pitched to her exactly as Romeo and Juliet, but with werewolves and vampires. She says, this sounds different from anything I've done, but I want a part for my, I want to call him her husband. They had been together so long, but they never married. I want a part for my partner, the father of my child. Michael Sheen is here in a pivotal role. And as they film this movie, 
she has an affair with the married director, Lynn Wiseman. And by the end of it, she is getting married to the director and leaving her husband, which might be why he dies in this movie. Yeah, there goes my theory that Michael Sheen will come back at some point. He will when we get to Twilight. He is one of the best parts of Twilight. He will come back in this franchise when Lynn Wiseman is done directing it. Okay. (laughs) But they can't be on the same set together. Actually, from what I hear, the three of them are all good friends. Kate and Michael raise kids together, and apparently Len and Michael are like besties and hang out together all the time. I mean, maybe now, now that she's divorced from both of them, but I was not that way in 2003, plus Wiseman had to get, his wife took him to court and the cleaners as well. So it was acrimonious. Before it got good, and I'll grant you people can get over their shit, it was kind of hectic here. So yeah, what was this thing going to be? Again, Romeo and Juliet in The Matrix. I just remember when I rented it, Shakespeare wasn't on my mind. That's all I could have told you. Yeah, don't you remember Romeo not showing up for an hour in that play? (laughs) And he didn't talk hardly at all. That was the other thing I knew about this film going in. And honestly, part of the reason why I was interested, Scott Speedman. I watched Felicity for a season and a half. I knew Scott Speedman as the hunk who got her to change colleges and follow him across campus after he showed her an ounce of interest. That would have been enough for you to watch anything with Scott Speedman in it? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I like The Strangers, too, but it wasn't for Scott Speedman. I think he was an easy get. He was a recognizable name with the teenish audience they were going for. But I don't. again, who is Kate Beckinsale? Who is Scott Speedman? Who is Michael Sheen? These are all people that are waiting for their big part. And oddly enough, this movie is it. So let's talk about it. Arnie, give him the plot of Underworld. Good luck. Yeah, I don't envy you. Guys, you've read Romeo and Juliet. You know that. We can move on. <laughs> Let's just get into it. A werewolf, a werewolf, a wherefore art thou werewolf? <laughs> While we humans live our lives, we are unaware that underneath the streets, in the subways, in the tunnels, and war has been raging for centuries between vampires and werewolves, or lichens if you want to be PC about it. The vampires have pretty much won this war thanks to Craven, one of the lead vampires played by Shane Brawley. Craven gained his status when he killed the Lycan leader Lucian, played by Michael Sheen. But that's all a lie. Craven and Lucian colluded so they would each rise in the ranks in their respective houses. Lucian went into hiding and let the vampires believe Craven killed him. This ruse starts to come to light when some Lycans attack an American medical student named Michael Corvin, played by Scott Speedman. He was rescued by vampire assassin, or death dealer, named Celine, played by Kate Beckinsale. Michael is bitten, but Celine keeps him tied up so he doesn't turn into a wolf. While trying to figure out what a lichen would want with a human, Celine discovers Lucian is still alive. Unsure what to do, Celine awakens a hibernating vampire elder named Victor, played under a lot of latex by Bill Nighy. Victor doesn't believe Celine's accusations against Craven. Celine hides out with Michael, but more lichens come to get the American. Celine captures a lichen scientist and takes him to Victor. There, the scientist confesses Lucius is still alive, and the scientist goes on that all vampires and werewolves have a common ancestor named, not coronavirus, but Corvinus. If you spell it out, it looks similar. The Lycans have been following that bloodline with the theory that an heir of Corvinus could become both a werewolf and a vampire, with the strength of both and the weakness of neither. That heir is Michael Corvin. 
The Lycans break into the vampire lair to capture Michael, so Celine breaks into the Lycan lair to rescue Michael also. Michael is shot with silver bullets, but before he can die, Celine bites him, turning him into a werewolf-vampire hybrid. Meanwhile, Craven kills Lucian for real this time. Victor tries to kill Michael, so Celine cleaves the vampire's elder's head in two, and now Celine and Michael are hunted by both vampires and werewolves, so they take off into the endless night as credits roll. And as credits start, much like throughout the rest of this film, we are going to be met with walls of exposition. Every 15 minutes in this film, we are told about the history of this Lycan versus vampire war, how long it's gone on, who the key players are. Oh boy. And all the key players sound the same. Marcus, you know, Vicious, I'm like, I can't even know. Like the names. I went and took a pop quiz. You can do this to find out who you are. Apparently, I'm a Lycan named Dominicus. (laughs) Is that someone in this movie? (laughs) No, it's just me. (laughs) Okay. Okay, Dominicus. I have to say the problem I have with this movie is right here in this opening. All of this lore, we've discussed it before in other podcasts, lore can be a spice that really helps add a lot of flavor and can really bring in a lot of fans who can really get into it. I understand that may be the case here. I have heard there's novelizations and original books and games about Underworld, so this lore must appeal to somebody. But the very first time I'm watching this, I'm struck by this dichotomy, this iconic shot. If there is a shot you know from any of the Underworld films, it's Kate Beckinsale on her haunches atop a building in this rubber leather suit posing, vamping, if you will, and yet I have this wall of dialogue assailing me with history that I can't follow and I don't care. And what's confusing is everything that's going to be said is going to be contradicted. Like, oh, this war is almost over. No, we're going to go into a big battle. They imply that, like, werewolves are totally almost extinct at this point. They're going to talk about how they developed all these futuristic weapons. And yet, this war has been going on 600 years. You're just now using liquid silver nitrate bullets? Like, you didn't invent that hundreds of years ago with your advanced vampire technology you keep dropping lines about? Like, if you're going to have all this dialogue, don't just contradict it then with all the action scenes. Yeah, this movie would definitely be better if it were a foreign film and we could just write it (laughs) off the confusions as just bad translations. Because I agree, it's just not really going to come together. Even if you parse it all out and draw the family tree and all of that, they definitely say contradictory things in here. There's definitely plot points that, again, just think of how powerful it would be if we just saw her coat flapping in the wind, she takes a photo of the street, and then she does this big jump. We'd say, yeah, you're the new trinity and go with it. But because we have this wall-to-wall voiceover, it really is a mood killer. A death dealer, indeed. (laughs) But it is a good look. I like the blues. It's very comic booky. In fact, I did read this character is intended behind the scenes to be a Marvel comic character named Celine. You know Celine Jacob from the Hellfire Club? It's not one that comes top of mind, no. The Black Queen. From the Hellfire Club. Oh, okay. Say the Black Queen then. I don't know all their (laughs) real names. Except Emma Frost. She's the White Queen. I know that one. (laughs) But yes, they had really modeled this character after this hundreds of year old mutant character. 
This is lies. They molded this after Trinity. This whole opening scene is like the opening to the Matrix. No, there's no deep backstory lore. They just copied this from a very popular film from four <laughs> years earlier. I'm even going to interrupt that and say, unfortunately, they didn't even think about the character. They go to wherever their references are. Right now it's Trinity, but the voiceover and later many of the scenes remind me of Sarah Connor. And so it really is any badass chick. You mentioned Mia Jovovich. They would have been able to see Resident Evil as well. I think, again, all of it applies. They're fanboys. They are. Lynn is coming from music videos where the idea is to take what's popular and give it to a group so that they have a shiny new look. And yes, this is not a well-thought-out character, unfortunately. It is an image. It's potent, I will say that, but the struggles are going to be that you wouldn't fall for Romeo and Juliet if they never said anything interesting. And that seems to be the problem here. When they meet on the train, she's actually there to hunt lichens, but they have a passing glance with this medic character Scott Speedman is playing, Michael Corvus. Which was totally lost on me. I thought he was just another vampire, and they're just exchanging looks as they're tailing this lichen, and, like, he's helping someone out. I'm like, I don't know, maybe vampires help out humans because they don't want to be found out. Like, I didn't until much later realize, oh, he's just a regular human. Like, he's not on their team. I agree. It's really hard to tell the difference between a lichen and a vampire. Unless they turn into a dog. <laughs> yes, if they actually do Harry, Ray Harryhausen kind of stop-motion puppet wolf effects you're not going to really know the difference. Why do you have vampires versus lichens? Both very cool monsters on their own. I mean, werewolves, those are cool. I'd love to cover an American werewolf in London and American werewolf in Paris sometime. If we must, do Paris. <laughs> Vampire films, we've covered Lost Boys and things. I mean, the Lost Boys took out those people in the parking lot, ripped a top off a convertible, why would you say I'm going to take these supernatural, powerful people and make them look indistinguishable and have them endlessly shoot each other with bullets that appear to never hit anything? I mean, Kate Beckinsale must have impeccable aim to miss so badly. I mean, she has to be trying <laughs> to not hit anything. Well, here's the other thing is... What we know of vampire and werewolf lore, just like through our culture, like I'm expecting them to have guns that can instantly kill. Either they got sunlight in them. I think they even did that in Blade. We'll see it here. Or they got silver that will actually just kill them. They're like, no, the silver just kind of like slows them down. Like 600 years you've been fighting. You have not perfected your weapons yet. But I hope there's no confusion as to why you want to see vampires versus werewolves. No, that is awesome. The same reason... Why you'd want to see Batman versus Superman or Freddy versus Jason, which was the same year as this, because those kinds of team-ups appeal to the child in us that wants to see fights. Yeah, I just don't want to see them shoot each other with bullets that do nothing. One of my big complaints here is Kate Beckinsale is going to spend a whole lot of ammunition. I don't think a single person is killed by bullets, I think that they're wounded by bullets, they're slowed down by bullets. I guess here in the opening, there's one person, presumably a lichen, that she shoots like seven times in the head, and I guess he's not getting up. <laughs> Her friend also got killed. She's with a photographer friend named Rigel, who goes down and she grabs the camera. And what's interesting about his death is that he's turning blue and light streaking out of him. This is the first example she's seen of someone hit 
by UV bullets. Yes, we will find out that the werewolves have figured out a way to bottle sunshine into a weapon. Yeah, they drop a line like, are they working with the humans? I'm like, oh, are humans in on this war too? That would be cool. Like, now they got to go fight all humanity and werewolves, something. But you're saying this was written by stunt guys. I guess there are stunt guys that are good at taking direction because they don't know how to write action. That Maybe it's the editing, the endless hail of bullets. I don't know what's going on in this opening action scene. Well, one of the writers is right here. He is Ray's. He's the big black guy that's kind of wolfing out here and going after someone named Nathaniel, who... Not clear whether he lives or dies, but you mentioned something that I think is key. If we have two different worlds, then our exploratory main character would be the human being trapped in the middle, right? I assume when we get to Twilight that Bella is our point of view. Or when we did The Matrix, that's Neo. Yeah, you have to have that character so we can explain this weird world that we're not familiar with. Why should I like a vampire more than a werewolf? What do they mean? If they look indistinguishable, if everyone just looks like Euro trash with sunglasses, then I need a human being to tell me Scott Speedman should be the star. And because they're so in love with Trinity and Sarah Connor and all the others, they just never want to give Scott Speedman anything. And so it makes the movie unique in that way and frustrating because we never really understand what a lichen or a blood really is about, other than they hate each other. But yeah, she does run into the subway tunnels, she does gun one down, and she hears roars that imply that there's a lot more lichens than these two, which, duh, right? But she's surprised, she thinks that they're almost extinct. Which is crazy, she didn't see this group, because later on Craven's like, well, you didn't see it, like, the lichens are having a fight club for some reason, but she missed all of this. And she goes back and looks in the camera and finally realizes that Scott Speedman was the target. That wasn't even really clear. Nope. We're not really clear what Scott Speedman was doing, although trying to help a bystander that got shot in one scene, but whether they lived and why. We know he's a medic, and really, I think that's his only characteristic throughout this entire movie. I know he works at a hospital. I'm not sure if he's a resident or he works in the food court, but there's really no clear character for him. They said he did a good job on a surgery, so I guess he's a resident. Yeah, I think you gotta be at least a surgical resident, if not beyond, to actually be doing surgery. (laughs) Yeah, do they just let residents lead the surgeries? That makes me nervous. Never go to a teaching hospital. (laughs) But you get my point. I didn't care about Scott Speeman before this movie, and I certainly don't care about him (laughs) in this movie. He is a non-factor. This is about Celine. And I don't think she cares about him that much either. For Romeo and Juliet, they're meat cute here, which is what I would call this subway scene. They barely notice one another. Yeah, he made no impression on me. So yeah, later when he shows up again, because look, yes, I've seen this movie before like a very long time ago. All I remembered is that image from the trailer of Kate Beckinsale twirling around in a circle to shoot her way through the floor. That is all I could tell you about this film. So I'm watching it now. Don't have a whole lot of memories about it. And yeah, Michael, when he shows up later, I'm like, oh, I guess this is that doctor they keep cutting back to for some reason. And why they want him, we'll get some inference. A lot of buildup is basically we'll see Ray's bring back the lichen that was killed to this lichen doctor named Singe. And he is extracting blood from some bald dude 
named James Corvin. Turns out anybody with the last name Corvin or Corvus or anything like that, they're just snatching them <laughs> and being like, are you related to our guy? Are you related to our guy? Is that what that wall of like pictures was? Is all the Corvins? <laughs> yes. what, do we know what city this is? Does it have a name? Again, it's like the Matrix. It's just a indistinct metropolis. Yeah, I think about Dark City or some of those. Like it's a noir land. It doesn't really have a place in this world. But I did notice in the advertising, there's foreign language. It feels like Romania. Maybe that's just the vampire vibe. The film was filmed in Hungary. Yeah, that's what it feels like. So, yes, werewolves, there's a right Corvin for them, and that's one of the many mysteries that are teased in the first part of this movie. Meanwhile, Celine is heading back to her vampire castle, which could double as the set of Zoolander, with all these hottie <laughs> models, and we meet, arguably, the worst thing about this entire movie, Craven, Shane Broly, the duck lips on this one, the prissy attitude on this one. Every scene that he's huffing and puffing and acting haughty because his girl doesn't respect him. Oof, I can't stand this guy. You know, I get the they all look like models thing. That's a vampire thing. They're always the vain ones. They want to look beautiful and all that. Okay, whatever. But yeah, this Craven, I thought you were going to talk about Erica, this blonde, who I don't even know why she's in this movie. But yeah, Craven and that her, if like, if Kate's not working for you, Speedman's not working for you, these ones aren't going to work for you. I don't know what characters you're going to be able to sink your teeth into to enjoy this. Okay, I'll stand alone. I like Craven and Erica much better than our lead heroes here. I at least understood their purpose. I understood their motivation and their attraction, which I did not with our lead characters. Oh, no. Shane Broly, he is like a Matthew Lillard here. He is ruining the vampire vibe. If they're supposed to look cool and aristocratic, he's killing it with his surfer. He looks so 2003 or whatever this film is. Like, he's just got that fashion style. Yeah. Yeah, he's awful. And I mean, I think he's meant to be awful. He's supposed to be leading this clan or this house or this vampire frat but at the same time he's not one of the elders the elders have put him in charge the rule is one elder is awake and two are asleep at all times wait i thought craven marcus and victor were the elders so he wasn't the leading elder at the time no 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 definitely not no victor put him in charge before he went back asleep and right now this is the age of amelia and she's off doing something who knows where Oh, okay. So Amelia, who we're going to see like in an hour and a half, she's the one leading this clan. <laughs> yeah, leading it from a distance. God only knows what she's really doing. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, because she doesn't want to be in this house, understandable. They really look obnoxious. <laughs> He's huffing and puffing and basically saying that Lycans could never be smart enough to create these UV bullets and poo-pooing every idea that Celine has. She rightfully has complete disdain for him. And Erica, I don't know, is she the side chick? Is she the one that just does what Craven wants because she wants to be as loved by him as he loves Celine? Yeah, why does he love Celine? At one point, he's like, I'm going to make you my queen, huh? I thought she's a death dealer, which is like <laughs> a specialized group of vampires, but now he's got to think for her, and I guess he could just make anyone a queen? Kate Beckinsale, let's just say this much. She's looking great in the cat suit. Obviously, they know that this is a selling point. That is why you will like her. She is a woman in a tight <laughs> outfit, and that is it. You know, is it just me, or is rubber overrated? I mean, I know they said in the bonus features that she's wearing leather, but that just looks like a rubber suit to me. 
I can't wait. Like, there's got to be a sex scene at some point where, like, that gets zipped off of her. And then just the guy starts like, oh, the smell. Like, yeah, I, I can't imagine the hygiene with that thing. Well, you know, these are fantasies. These are fetishes. Like, yes, the idea is sexy on a poster. The practicality of getting in and out of that suit and what it would take. I mean, I don't know how she fights with those heels on. Of course, she had to watch her diet in order to stay fitting into that outfit. But I read she got pneumonia during filming, and that really helped her stay shape for the outfit i mean <laughs> a lot of puking helped yeah <laughs> yeah i can imagine you develop many eating disorders trying to live up to this you know objectified ideal obviously sadly that's really the all there is to celine sarah connor had layers we saw her hurt we saw her pain we will get a story about how her family was murdered and the reason why she's so in love with victor as a father figure is that she believes that he turned her to protect her. We'll find out all of those are lies, but it's a big reason why she doesn't like Craven, other than he's just a real twat. But the fact that he's not living up to the ideals of Victor, and she's thinking a lot about waking him up, even though he's not due for another thousand years. Marcus is the one that's supposed to be waking up, and that's happening in two days when Amelia gets her ass to the castle. And nobody's in charge now, right? Amelia. Craven is being put in charge, but with the idea that Amelia has the final say because she's one of the three elders. Amelia, who gets killed on the train at the very end. You didn't track that one. Yes, she's really important. (laughs) The one that has no lines that gets gunned down in a train is super important to this clan. Okay, I missed that. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that is the experience of this film. Yes, I agree. It is not well constructed. These guys prove time and time again they're great stuntmen in this script. Like, they cannot (laughs) lay out plots and make points clear and can't get their own story straight. And let's face it, your first movie, you're out there shooting. I'm sure things had to change. And it is confusing. You do have to change things on the spot. And it's pretty clear that they tie themselves up in knots trying to explain all of the lore, which wouldn't be a big problem if the lore wasn't such a big part of this movie. But I feel like we're supposed to just soak in it. Like it's this majestic thing that we're just supposed to be about, ooh, Lucius and <laughs> Vinius and Mook. Like, I don't want to do that, but we're supposed to want to like know every single person in this room. Yeah, I watched the unrated cut for this viewing. Originally, I saw the theatrical one. I decided to endure an extra 15 minutes because I remember things not making sense to me when I watched this. I'm like, maybe there's extra scenes in there. I mean, there's extra scenes of Celine looking at vampire books, literally more lore, but like just pictures drawn 600 years ago. It helps nothing at all to understand this, to watch that extra 15 minutes. And we get some of that in this cut. So I keep forgetting that there was a 15 minute longer cut. I shudder to think about, again, if those were wisely used, then I suppose it might be helpful. But if it's just dumping more names on me and dates... Most of the extended scenes are at the end, and, like, the big one is a Scott Speedman monologue. So, you're not missing a whole lot here. It's a lot of extended scenes, but the added content is mostly at the end. Because you want to slow down that climax. I get the point. We need Michael. Act 2 is about finding Michael, and we get back into some action when Celine slips off and finds him at home. And werewolves are suddenly bursting through the ceiling and climbing up the walls, and they're on the run. And Lucian, this is where he bites Michael. Like, this is a big turning point. 
suddenly this human being is no longer human. He's got lycanthropy going in his veins. So I believe the lore is if you get bit by either a lichen or a vampire, they got like some kind of, it's not a venom, but there's something in their saliva, maybe like you get germs in you and that will turn you unless they kill you or something like that. Sure. I mean, yeah, they spit in you, basically. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> and vice versa. Lucian also gets some blood, spits into a vial, and brings it back to the doctor and says, test this, and they find out that he's the real descendant of Corvus. So they know pretty much after this big Terminator 2 ripoff scene that Michael is their man. But first he's got to act like the T-1000 and outrace a car and have this retractable blade on his wrist that goes through the roof and cuts Celine. All the things we loved in Terminator 2. Yeah, I wish I was loving this. Like, I'm trying super hard. Like, again, Michael Sheen, probably my favorite thing when we get to Twilight. He's always playing goofy character, like Tron Legacy. Like, I love when he shows up in that, too. Like, he can be a lot of fun. I guess, just like they sucked all the color out of this film, they sucked all the fun out. Because I'm not having fun, like, during these action scenes. This should be fun, him running down the car and having that knife hidden in his sleeve and all that, but I just want it to end. And I'm wondering what the rules are here, because we see Celine get stabbed in the shoulder, and I'm like, she's a vampire. Why would this be a problem? It's supposed to be a stake through the heart. It's the way it's a problem for anyone. She's bleeding out. No, but here's the thing, and this is where, again, I'm bringing in my knowledge of vampires through popular culture, but vampires don't have blood. They suck blood. They drink it like it's like a food to them but they don't actually have blood in their veins like they're doing here. And guess what? These vampires, they not only have blood in their veins, they got reflections. They're just throwing out all the lore. And Rice had vampires that bled into each other's mouths, though. That was kind of a whole all 69 sucking thing. Okay. I haven't read Anne Rice, so. Yeah, and I want to cite Rice as the progenerator of the vampire romance. I wouldn't call Interview with a Vampire a, a romance novel per se, but it's close. Like, it really is the blueprint by which all of these Buffies and all of that try to extract more of an erotic charge. If you're not trying to scare me with a vampire, you're probably following down that route. And I think we can all agree, at this point, this might be an exciting action scene for some people, but nothing about this is scary in the way that Fright Night or a horror movie would be with vampires. I'm surprised it's even rated R. And maybe stuntman Danny McBride read Anne Rice. I don't know. But it feels to me like they want to take a lot of shortcuts with the lore just to help the story along. There's a thing in the beginning like, oh, well, the really old lichens, they don't need a full moon anymore. They can just change whenever they want because that's convenient. We don't have to wait 30 days for an action scene. Though this film at times feels like waiting for 30 days for an action (laughs) scene. Yeah. And some can and some can't. And yes, I agree. Trying to track all the things that people say and then hearing later things that contradict it can make you really feel like you don't want to pay too much attention. Just keep them quiet. This movie would be on such better footing if they didn't talk. Just have us not understand and we'd be better off than trying to over-explain every scene. It's a simple, high concept and they're making it more complicated than they need to. Yeah, I feel like I'm hanging out with D&D people and that's not a fun feeling because I don't know how to play that game or any of that lore. And the relationship between these two, our Romeo and our Juliet, is paper thin. When I think of Kate Beckinsale, one of the movies I do think about is Serendipity, her rom-com with John Cusack. 
And that had a better relationship hook than this thing does. I don't understand when Craven starts telling her how much she's blinded by her feelings for this human slash lichen. I'm like, she is? I thought she was investigating a mystery. Oh, yeah. Why does she have any feelings for this? No, he's just jealous. She's not feeling anything. I really do wonder if they hate each other. This is one of those things where I'm like, do Speedman and Beckinsale not get along? The chemistry is that bad. It makes you feel like they met on the set, he said something awful, or she farted or something in a scene, and it just <laughs> hasn't been going well. Like, that's how bad they are together. They're supposed to fall in love when the car flips into the ocean, and I don't know, first he drags her out and then faints, and then like she takes him back and scares Erica up to the ceiling like she leaps up there because she realizes he's a werewolf now. This stuff is not romantic. Whether you like it or not, I just want to point it out there for a Romeo and Juliet story that is about halfway over at this point. I'm not seeing any sparks in chemistry and it starts with these two actors. But we do get a scene which again in an alternate universe this would be a lot of fun. This reviving of Victor, this weird ceremonial grate that you drop blood into, and it slowly goes into this dehydrated vampire, and he slowly comes back to life. There's some cool visual laters of him with, like, all these IV plugs with blood in them stuck in his back. This is what you lean into. Yeah, shut up and do cool visuals like this, and it's a better film, automatically. Yeah, I like that stuff. I wanted to say, yeah, her relationship with Victor seems to be the movie. It's not, I fell in love with a human being that turned into a werewolf. It is, I am loyal to a guy that has been told he has to sleep for the next thousand years, and I hate the guy that's in charge, so I'm just going to break protocol and wake him up. And she's been put on the track because she already went to some library and opened up a book and is already feeling like Craven is lying. I think the book even said that, like, Craven started the fire and was in cahoots with them. We have a scene of Craven going and meeting Lucian. We have it established in lots of different ways that he's a traitor. But in this world, catch me if I'm wrong here, all you got to do is bite into somebody, drink their blood, and you know everything they ever did. So if she really wants to know something, she doesn't need to pick up a book. She needs to nibble on his ear, right? And then like she'll be craving, you asshole. Well, two different things. First, in that book, they have a patch of Lucian's skin. So I don't know, you know, they can't multi-print that book. It's not in other libraries. <laughs> I mean, they say they're not allowed to study their history even. Then why print books? <laughs> yeah. Why have a historian? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And what I thought is that this ruse between Craven and Lucian was recent. But that book looks as old as the Bible. So this has been going on for hundreds of years, for centuries they thought this werewolf was dead? Yeah, 600 years specifically. That's the opening monologue said, 600 years ago, we thought it was over because Craven killed Lucian. But they've just been doing this thing, which I guess if you're immortal or semi-immortal... What's 600 years? 600 years feels like a week, but it does seem like a long time if you're wanting to take over. And that seems to be Craven's motivation. He took that swatch of skin back from some kind of war and said, I'm the sole survivor. And the truth is, the vampire army was wiped out and he cut a deal with Lucian. Lucian gave him that swatch of skin and they concocted a story that he won when he didn't. Which again, you could have easily exposed. Victor would know this. Abelia, whoever's in charge, you just bite into their neck and you go, liar. <laughs> but they just get a flash. They can't see everything. I did like the scene 
of Kate Beckinsale talking into a mirror, leaving messages that Victor will get when he starts drinking her blood. But it seems like what you get is like a montage. You don't get exact details. No, what we're told later is because she's not one of the elders, she doesn't know how to do this right. She is waking up Victor by herself. Whereas the ceremony that we never see because the person doing it is on a train and gets killed before she shows up there, she would be experienced and they would they see everything. It's confusing for Victor what he sees from her memories because she's not an expert. She's a death dealer and not an awakener. Who says they didn't understand the lore? I mean, I tried. And again, this is a second viewing. I will say this part is cool. I do think that if you just want coolness, capital C, stuff that is just music video, just something to rock out the new metal to, this is it. This scene where she opens up her wrists and pours it into the spigot that goes down into the organs and the heart starts beating again and all of that. Even with the dated CGI, even with the limited budget, this still has a cool vibe. The scene, yes, I agree. Too bad she's got to get back mixed up with Michael. That's the problem. Michael is being chased by Lycan cops. He goes back to work, and we see Wentworth Miller, who ended up being a bigger star than Scott Speedman, star of Prison Break and many Resident Evil movies, here doing a cameo as a colleague. And because he can't be at the hospital and he can't go home, he goes back to Vampire Mansion and he and Celine have to hang out some more. Yeah, I mean, they finally get to kiss. I don't know why. I don't know what the chemistry is here. Mm-mm. I don't know what the attraction, but I guess they're in love now. Yeah. Is it bad casting? Is that what is killing this? I mean, Scott Speedman is acting pretty much like he did in Felicity, making me think that he just doesn't have a whole lot of range, but I just can't not go with these two. Every time it gets back to them, this is why I tell you guys I like Craven is because I at least understand what's going on here. This entire love story is something ridiculous. It is a real problem for anybody to experience this movie. And I don't care whether, obviously, this wasn't made for me, but I'm trying to project myself into a person that really wants to see vampires and werewolves making love, and there's no love there. I'm presuming that knowing the actors that they have for Twilight that stuff is going to be better. There will be chemistry, whether I like the story or not. Twilight has got to be better than this. Oh, it's going to be fun to find out what you think. (laughs) To be determined. Yes, agreed. That's a couple weeks if you join us for Silver Level. But yeah, she leaves him with a gun, and it says it's full of silver nitrate because their cool weapons guy has designed it. He's retrofit. Well, if they could put sunlight in here, I guess we could put (laughs) liquid metal. No, but this gun just has one silver bullet in it to slow his transformation down. He could shoot himself and he won't turn as fast. That's what she says, at least. To me, it sounded like kill yourself. No, no. Slow down the transformation. I know that's what she said, but read between the lines. Here's a gun. It'll slow you down. Yeah, it will. It'll kill you. That's stupid. Why would that be, particularly since they have the blood and all of that, that we find out that they own this company that has cloned blood? I don't know if this is a passing mention that they have some kind of medical supply company and she's given them packs of blood. Is this so they never have to actually attack humans and they don't have to deal with that whole side of vampirism? Like, how do they keep feeding? No, we just clone blood. We're just Morbius. Don't know. Didn't get that far into telling the lore in this movie because we were obsessed with doing other things. Again, these are not storytellers. I think I can say that clearly. They're image makers. There are people that have seen cool things and want to replicate 
cool things, and maybe you think they've rendered them well, but they are not telling a good story. See, and that's the thing is, to me, this is a great demo reel. Like, here's us trying to make a film. Look how cool we can make things look. Right. But we can't tell a story worth a damn. It's called a calling card. You make this and they go, oh, this is shit. But if we got you a real script, uh, if we gave you Die Hard 4, you'd make a good one. Or not. (laughs) But yes. So she goes back yet again to be yelled at by her father figure. Again, I just always feel like she's running back to the house and being, being like, I hate it here. But it's got to be a little bit sad for her that Victor is like, you broke the rules, and when the woman gets here on the train, you're really going to be in trouble. Good thing she's not going to make it. Craven's betrayal means that Ray's and the Lycans are waiting when Amelia pulls into the station. This is who I was talking about, Arnie, that's important. This is the elder in charge. That's why it's a big deal that she dies. I didn't put it together because I kept hearing the name Amelia, but I'm like, oh, she's going to be the one in charge of this ceremony. She knows how to do the magic or whatever. But yeah, here in the end, she finally shows up, this Amelia we've heard, and she gets shot along with everyone else. The way I see it working is she would go back to sleep and then Marcus would wake up and be the next thousand year ruler. And so because that goes down, everyone's worried. If Erica does one thing in this movie, she turns off the power so that Celine can run away and go back to Scott Speedman, which again, why did she ever leave him? Why is she going back there? Because she had to talk to Victor so we could have more data dumps. Get her whole backstory about what her family was supposedly under attack by Lycans and all got killed and he turned her because, I don't know, reasons. Well, we'll find out the real reason. But yes, that's why she holds him in high esteem and why she believes Victor is better than Craven. Honestly, Bill Nighy is always better than this actor playing (laughs) Craven. But yes, he's not a good guy, and she's about to find that out. She goes back for Michael. The werewolves have been tailing her. More Matrix shootouts. It's a dual capture. She manages to kidnap the doctor, the werewolf doctor that is behind the blood experiments. She's going to drag him back to show Victor what's going on. But at the same time, Michael has been finally caught by those Lycan cops, and they give him something to sedate him because he's seeing the full moon. I thought they said the full moon was tomorrow, but it's only been a couple of hours. Again, who knows, right? Who knows? Yeah, it's an <laughs> eternal night in the city. I don't think it's ever day. It is. It has never been daylight. Yeah, they don't want to have to have the vampires just sleep and have time off. Vampires cannot be hurt by sunlight if it never becomes sunny. <laughs> and Michael's been having his little flashback moments as well. And we haven't really understood them. It looks like a werewolf throwing people around in a vaulted archway kind of place. And we'll find out, this is where it becomes pivotal. We find out that Victor was the father of Lucian's lover. This vampire named Sonia fell in love with a werewolf. They made a baby and Victor was so mad about it that he put his daughter in sunlight and let her burn alive and then had Lucian whipped and... That started the war. This is the reason why we have werewolves versus vampires, is that werewolves, I guess, are woke, and they're (laughs) all for crossbreeding, whereas vampires want to be purebloods. And Michael has these visions just because he comes from that bloodline? When you're bit, I guess it goes both ways. You drink the blood, and you know the memories, just as Lucian knows the memories of Scott Speedman, which again is just... Two seasons on Felicity. I can't imagine that. It's very interesting for him. (laughs) At the same time, Scott Speedman's character is having the hundreds of years of knowledge 
about Lucian. So he can remember in a flashback that this happened. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that it's a two-way transfer. It has to be the case. No, no, it totally is. It totally is the reason why he's dreaming about Lucian and Sonia. They're the real Romeo and Juliet. They're the ones that were in love and the houses wouldn't let them be together. And she died and he is still here. Again, whatever turns you into a lichen or a vampire, it's like, do you have Omicron or Delta? Like, it's different variants of the same thing, so I guess they have similar traits, like, memories carry over. Oh boy, this is ill thought out. There's a lot of detail here for something that feels so thrown together. Yeah, I think it is thought out, but it's not well plotted, and that can mean the difference in everything. It means that you don't follow it, even if you have it meticulous. I got this. I know where it's going. You watch this movie and it feels like a jumble where nobody knows what's happening, particularly when they get to Celine. All right, so she gets this doctor and he's talking about a 5th century Hungarian warlord named Alexander Corvinius. The reason why they wanted Michael is that he's the descendant of this guy and he survived the Black Plague or something and had two kids, one bitten by a bat and a wolf, and that's what started werewolves and all that. How that factors in to Lucian's story, I cannot see a tether. It feels like an entirely different origin story. Yeah, Lucian, he ends up being, I don't know, maybe the more righteous one because he wants the crossbreeding. He wants to expose the lies of the vampires. So I guess he's noble in the end. I feel like we were meant to hate the Lycans at first and now realize that they're the ones that are supportive of free love. At the very least, they're the ones that think that you should be with the person you love and not worry about whether they're a vampire or a lichen. But at the same time, the werewolves are doing terrible things. They did kill Emilio on the train. They did extract her blood. But Craven sold them out. Like, they're just taking orders from Craven. Yeah, there are vampires watching this happen, enabling this to happen. So, yes, it is under the watch of Craven, who is Craven for power, hence the name. <laughs> but what I heard was Emilia's blood will turn Scott Speedman's character into a full hybrid. He already has the lichen in him, and if we put Amelia the vampire's blood in him, he will have both and fulfill the destiny of this Hungarian warlord, or something. That's what I heard. But they never actually get that blood in him. I don't understand why either side would be going for this hybrid. The werewolves really want this hybrid to help turn the tide of the war, like a half-vampire is going to be on the side of wolves. Yeah, if lichens are just free-love hippies, they could just stop fighting go, guys, we don't want to fight anymore. We're just going to go breed. That's what we want to do. But again, Michael Sheen impregnated a vampire lady. She was going to have a half-vampire, half-lichen. I forgot. Romeo and Juliet, yes, it's a family feud. Yes, and because she was burned in the sunlight by her own father, the families destroyed each other. A pox on both your houses. He is that plague. He is going to be the thing that makes them pay for letting Sonya die. Don't worry, if none of this makes sense, I'm told the third movie is all about this. Oh no, we're going to go back in time? Yes, it's called Rise of the Lycans. Michael Sheen is in it. I assume it is this story. On the bright side, I can't imagine Scott Speedman is in it. He is not. Okay, good, we'll get a break from him. Yeah, if you don't like the version where he falls asleep and sees these things in little rapid montages, it could only play better. I will just put it that way. Because as it's being told here, this story is not Romeo and Juliet. It's not moving. The only reason I can imagine people enjoying this is because they like the cool visuals 
and they like the action. They couldn't possibly like this romance. They know it doesn't make sense because I did pick up the 4K box set of this because somebody drew the short straw and it was made to do bonus features. And they actually inserted scenes from a future movie when discussing (laughs) one of these flashbacks, when discussing about what happened and the betrayals and all of that. So they knew that something needed to be seen and not just heard. And so they took footage from that future movie, which I haven't seen yet, so I don't know which one. But when I was reading up and comparing the theatrical cut to the director's 4K cut, I'm like, hey, that's not just a new shot. That's not even filmed when this movie came out. Yeah, I have to imagine we're going to be in that same place as Bayformers, where every film rewrites the lore and it's never consistent. That's my fear. I do know that eventually Lynn walks away and the people writing this walk away. And presumably people that know the craft of screenwriting have to come in and figure it out. Hopefully. Maybe I'll look forward to that. I think, I'm not saying that this story couldn't work. I'm saying this story is not working because these people are not capable of telling it in a coherent, moving fashion. But is the action enough? That's what we're here for. This is where we get the climax. All of a sudden, Selena's been tasked with killing the half-breed, the man that she maybe loves (laughs) or maybe told to put a bullet in himself. Because it'll slow him down. Again, I cannot get a read about whether they've fallen in love or not. But basically, Victor wants her to kill Michael. I'm fine with all the action scenes because at least I don't have to try to think about the lore. I can just follow people shooting each other. You cannot follow these action scenes. I am sorry. These are not good. The editing's bad. I'm just confused with every action scene. I think the editing is bad because they don't have all the coverage they want. They didn't have the money to film it in such a way that they got all the angles, so they have to cut around what they didn't shoot. There's cool ideas here. When we have a vampire with two whips going at rays, that's a good idea for a fight. Yeah. It's not a good fight, but it's a good idea for one. Yeah, when they talk about all their super futuristic weapons, I want to see those. So whips and we're going to get some kind of cool lichen slayer sword. Yeah, give me some bass thrills, like vampire shooting machine guns on motorcycles. Like, it should be very simple, guys. They have it here. I mean, you should be getting some of it. I hear you're not getting enough of it, but you can't be hating every moment of this. I've been watching this film for almost two hours at this point. I kind of like the resurrection of Victor. I thought there were some cool visuals. I looked at the changes with the unrated cut. They even added more of those in there. So, yes, there were some cool visuals for a few seconds in this film that I enjoyed. Okay. And my favorite scene, too. What about you, Arnie? You're the one that likes action. I did like the whip scene. Ray's maybe my favorite character. I love his voice. I heard in the commentary that is the man's real voice, not something modulated. So I'm getting my kicks where I can get them. But mostly, it's in the performance of Bill Nighy and me wondering, will he ever be allowed out of that makeup coffin he's buried (laughs) under? Will we get to see his face, or is he constantly going to look like an extra in From Dusk Till Dawn? but it is so rote. And you know what it really sucks on is the score and soundtrack. It's the Matrix score, the big swelling brasses. Yes, but what the Matrix had also was a lot of techno and could really ramp up the scenes with its dance music and things. Do you know what this soundtrack has on it? Because I did listen to the soundtrack and I shit you not, it blew my mind. Mia Jovovich is singing on the soundtrack. Hmm. <laughs> Are you serious? I am serious. Like, Mia Jovovich must have had a Tori Amos phase where she thought she could go 
start singing some ballads, but they have a Mia Jovovich song on the soundtrack here. So not even the music can bring me in. It is really leaving me cold. And when I saw this in theaters, I walked out going, man, I didn't give a shit. And coming back, I really tried to invest myself in here. And by the time we get to this climax, I'm like, kill them all, but especially kill Scott Speedman. (laughs) The guy you came to see. (laughs) I kind of like Bill Nighy a little bit, just because his wake up was kind of fun. And he's got no time for anyone's shit. They don't want to camp it up enough in this film. It feels like they're afraid of that. They're so devoted to that sterile Matrix feel. Yeah, someone needs to camp it up. I agree. They are so wanting to be cool that they feel like if they do anything funny, if they go near comedy at all, that that will crush the illusion. And they're wrong. That would help bring us in. If you could acknowledge that this is goofy shit, I would forgive a lot. But because it's so self-serious... It really is mockable here. But yeah, all right. So Ray's gets killed by Craven. Craven kills Lucian. I think Craven kills everyone. Craven kills Ray's. Craven shoots Lucian with the silver nitrate. In the back for reasons. I don't know why he didn't do it centuries ago. He does it now so blithely. Because they just made these bullets. And these bullets take a very long time. It kills, it seems like. I thought they were supposed to be instant death, getting your bloodstream, but. Lucian, I thought the reveal was going to be he was a half and half because he's able to fight off that silver nitrate for a long time. Yeah, he has a long death scene on the ground watching things happen. He watches Craven shoot Michael with the silver nitrate and basically stabs Craven in the leg. And then Craven's gone. I don't think he dies. He just sort of limps out of the picture. I don't get the satisfaction of watching this terrible actor die a horrible, horrible death. And instead, we have, again, does this harken back to Romeo taking the poison for Juliet? I don't know. He's dying of the silver nitrate, and the only thing that can save him is if she tries to turn him into a vampire. Which, in the past, if you get this bite, if you have werewolf and vampire in you, those two cells will attack each other and you won't live. So wait, all they have to do is bite each other. They don't need all of this gunplay. They just have to bite each other, and if a werewolf bites a vampire or a vampire bites a werewolf, the one that's bitten is dead. So why are we spending so much ammunition? (laughs) (laughs) Because ammunition is cool. Yeah, and they might come from this bloodline where they'll become super strong vampire werewolves. I'm trying to imagine the movie where people are just going around giving each other hickeys, and I don't think that it would play like The Matrix. That's all I can say. I'm telling you, there are a lot of vampire werewolf movies that work well with a lot of leaps and stunts and clawing and biting. And it's not giving each other hickeys, but I just don't understand all of this shooting when nobody seems to die from being hit by a bullet. Up to this point, the visuals have been passable. I mean, even the stop motion werewolves. I liked them. They're cute, right? There's something cute about it. I wish I could be encouraged to laugh at it, but it's not bothering me. But I do think that the makeup that Scott Speedman gets as the hybrid is a loser. All of a sudden, he's just got black eyes and black skin and talons. Well, yeah, he just got black skin and fangs. And I guess that's what a hybrid looks like. You don't grow fur because they still want him to look sexy or something. Yeah, does it feel like a cross between a vampire and a werewolf? No. It didn't occur to me. It just felt like Scott Speedman is not sitting in the makeup chair for eight hours So all we could do is cover him in soot. (laughs) And it's just not that cool. And if the movie is living and dying by how cool you look, 
he loses. He is the least cool-looking thing in this movie as the thing we've been building up to, the hybrid vampire werewolf. He's an orc, right? I mean, he looks just like an orc from Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Yes, that's what he looks like. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, I could see that. He doesn't get much of a fight. He gets knocked around. And I got to say, if you can't put Bill Nighy down, you're pretty damn lame. Like, this is a very frail old man here. But we're expected to believe because of wire foo that the hybrid is getting knocked around. And it is for Celine to call her mentor out and say, you really did kill my family. And I really don't like you. And let's have a ninja battle. Except in the first stroke, I cut off half your head and you didn't realize it. So we don't get to have our kung fu moment. And this is where they really do that. She does this leap and goes into slow-mo. Yes, right out of the Matrix. And then it speeds up again. This is their bullet tie moment. Our Peter Pan moment. Again, the way she leaped, I thought it was going to be like a crouching tiger. Ooh, we're going to get some wire foo. And that's it. She just kind of leaps, passes him. Do you even see her swing the sword or anything? Like, it's weird because it's in slow motion, but it's so fast, too. Like, I missed it. Sound effect. Yeah, you don't see anything happening. And again, Bill Nighy is frail, and I don't think he could do a fight, but I wanted to see it anyway. (laughs) But yeah, the lichens back off, the lovers, that's what we're calling them. They come together. And they head off to the future. And Celine says in a voiceover, she's being hunted by vampires now. And I'm like, why? It doesn't seem anybody really liked anybody. Is it at least the blonde on your side now? Because she turned off the lights? I don't know. But we see the stinger is that the lichen doctor Singe, when they killed him in the, I call it the tomb room, the place where the elders sleep, his blood leaked down into Marcus's coffin. Amelia's dead, Victor is dead, but there's still this Marcus character, and his blue eyes open, he'll be the threat of part two. I think the threat is that there is a part two. Mm. But Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Underworld? Jacob. You know, I was actually really torn on this. Not my recommend, I know exactly where I'm going with my recommend, but my opening line, like, you gotta respect the tradition, I'm always writing down some line from the film and incorporating it into my introduction at the beginning. I had no quotes written down on this one. Like, nothing stuck with me because it's just a bunch of exposition. So then I go into IMDb. Let me go scroll through the quotes there and just blocks, paragraphs of dialogue, all exposition. I'm like, I'm not even going through this. I'll just make something up. But, like, almost broke tradition because, like, that's how unmemorable every line is in this film. But, yeah, if this film came out in the 80s, go have it sell illegal arms to rebel groups in South America, because this is more Teflon than Ronald Reagan ever was. Like, (laughs) I am watching scenes, and I'm like, wait, how did we get to this point? Nothing would stick with me. Like, I was having very quick dementia on set during this, because I didn't understand what was happening. I wouldn't remember, like, how did we get to this scene? The color palette's awful. Like, everything looks the same. 2003, this comes out. New Metal. This is like the new metal matrix. A new metal to me is like, oh yeah, let's strip all the blues influence from rock and make computerized music that has no soul. That's this film, like no soul, nothing to hold on to. I wish one of us were a fan because I want to know, is it just you like vampires and werewolves fighting and you get into that kind of LARPing and this is a way to live through that LARPing? Maybe that's all there is to this with the fans because I don't get it. There's nothing I remember watching this film it's confusing don't like any of the characters yeah stay far away from this don't risk getting bit by a vampire or a werewolf because then you're gonna have to have memories of this film don't do it (laughs) the steward yeah you know and jacob i tried to keep that front of mind even though we all hate this 
There are people that passionately love this. I was in the room with them. I saw them watching the movie. What was it? I don't want to say, oftentimes, the worst kind of criticism is when you're attacking the character of the fan that likes it. And I'm not here to insult the people that are here to say, I love Underworld. I want to understand where you're coming from. And the closest I could come to, this is the only thing I could grab, is the dessert Death by Chocolate. (laughs) I like chocolate like I like vampires, which is to say sparingly. I want a little bit of vampires. I think it can be a good flavor, but I don't want too much of it. But if you are a motherfucker that just loves like everything about a vampire and wants to be a vampire and wants to sleep in a coffin and live your whole life in some kind of state of undead, then this is your dessert. This movie gives you that, ladles it on. Everything that I'm gagging on and saying, this is so gross to have the chocolate ice cream with the chocolate fudge and the chocolate sprinkle. Like, you're going, mmm, mmm, mmm. It is just rich with everything that I don't want. And that is the only thing that I could find the comparison to. It is just, it does not have a good love story. What I want to stress is, I came here thinking Twilight, and I walk away saying they will easily be able to have better chemistry between their lovers than this movie does. I mean, a little bit of chemistry is more than no chemistry, so you're right. Yeah. Again, Beckinsale and Speedman are just death in this movie. They're not attractive. Yeah, you have this woman in this tight leather, and she's not sexy. And Speedman is doing shirtless scenes and all this. He's not sexy. They are not able to independently or together pull off anything. And that is the true stunner. I knew that this movie wasn't for me, but I thought it could at least appeal to fans of romance novels, and they flop on that. Is it a good action movie? I'm not the person to ask, but I can tell you for sure it's a shit romance, and that's why it's a strong not recommend. But if you like vampires enough to consume Death by Chocolate, I think it will hit the spot. It will hit a spot I never want hit. (laughs) And for me, this film is certainly more competent than a lot of the stuff we've covered in the video game retrospective series. It is made by people who know how to focus a camera, and by actors who've starred in stuff before, and it feels like it should be good. Like, if I just look at this movie with the sound off, it's like a movie not only should I enjoy, but that should be easily recommendable. But the problem is, I personally start to retch with fantasy. I am not a fan of fantasy, and that is what this movie is is an action fantasy film where I say we have an orc at the end, I do think Scott Speedman becomes one, but instead of hobbits and elves, we have vampires and lichens. But when you're dealing with centuries-old grievances and elders and all of this rules, it is this elder's time to rule for the next thousand years and things, you're into fantasy, and that's a genre I've never found agreeable for that very reason is because it becomes too heady and too confusing and things I don't care about. And we mentioned Romeo and Juliet, and I love a lot of Shakespeare's work, which can get very deep into historical epics and lineages, but yet he's the bard and can do it well, and these guys ended up making Die Hard 4. Are you saying Danny McBride is not comparable to Shakespeare? (laughs) Dare I make that claim? Stuntman Danny McBride? It's not even the real Danny McBride. 
I want to emphasize that. I feel like I'm going to run into Danny McBride shortly after this podcast comes out, and he's going to be disappointed in me. But which Danny McBride? Stuntman Danny McBride. <laughs> Just tell him you love his work in Tropic Thunder, and it'll all be okay. <laughs> but I don't know what else to say. Not recommend. And there's four more of these. I'm hopeful that they could actually get better. I mean, there has to be something here if they make five of them. I mean, they're going to get it shorter film by film, right? Like, that's my hope, at least. I don't know if they'll get better, but they could be shorter, and that makes them better automatically. I've seen the next movie, and I'm just going to go ahead and preview. It's better. I believe that the second one is better than what we just watched. There's a lot of wiggle room for better, though. Like, it doesn't make it recommendable. We'll see. Yeah, I'm not saying that, but I definitely can say, here's the thing to think about. These were guys that didn't know their lane, right? They're stuntmen that thought they were writers. We found out that they weren't. As this gets turned over to new hands and presumably people that are better at that craft, will they find the good movie in all of this lore? It's something to hope for, even if I'm not optimistic about it. I definitely want a better experience next time, and I think we're going to get it. In the meantime, if you want some more teen romance, well, we have something for June patrons this Friday. Love, Simon. Is that like zombies and Frankensteins falling in love? No, unfortunately, there are no vampires. That would, of course, make it better. But it is an acclaimed children's book that addresses homophobia in high school and does so in a way that prompted a Disney show. So something must have worked there. It looks like it's going to be a well-regarded young person's film that, again, it's been about 30 years since I've been in high school, but I'll give it a whirl. So we hope you can join us for that. That is for patrons of $10 per month or more. So thank you for coming into this underworld with us. Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me. And until next time, my will is done regardless. My journey has now come full circle. Once an outcast, I am now one of three chosen elders, from hunted to the highest honor. But I no longer fear death, for I have known it once already. Thank you for listening to this now-playing podcast movie review. They've been silenced, but otherwise unharmed as ordered. We hope you enjoyed the show. You've done exactly as I hoped and planned, if not more. Help us spread the word about this show by leaving a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your podcast store of choice. Why are you helping me? I'm not. I'm helping me. Want more reviews like this one? In the archives section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts. There is no beginning. There is no end. There is only becoming. On our site, you can hear reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men, James Bond, Middle Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Transformers. Enough to produce an endless supply of... Plus, we have individual movie reviews, such as Avatar, Titanic, E.T., Inception, Big Hero 6, Ready Player One, Pulp Fiction, Apocalypse Now, Dr. Strangelove, and hundreds more. Dead or alive, you will give me what I want! 
and come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. Peace. By delicate peace, the puzzle will fall into place. Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. Yes, I have taken from him, but I have given so much more. You can donate directly by tapping the support button at nowplayingpodcast.com. I can assist you. Well, you already have. And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. Pains me to admit it, but for the first time in my life, I genuinely fear for our future. Need more Now Playing? Subscribe to our In Focus weekly newsletter for exclusive digital download giveaways, celebrity interviews, behind-the-scenes insights, and more. Sign up through the subscribe page on our website and get it delivered to your inbox every Friday. I need you to deliver a message. Grunt if you understand. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. The vampires didn't realize you were following a human, did they, Race? No. Want 375 more Now Playing reviews? Get the Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Arnie, Stuart, Jacob, and Marjorie reviewed 125 different movies you probably haven't seen. But you should. Find out why in Now Playing's first book of movie reviews. Do you not realize this is a gift I am giving you? The ebook is available now, and the audiobook and print book will be coming soon. Find details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. My eyes see beyond the surface of so many things. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Without me, you'd have nothing. You'd be nothing. Associate produced by Jason Latham. There's no room for error with me. Now Playing is edited by Heath, Stephen, Santiago, and Arnie. I kept the secrets, cleaned up the mess. Now Playing credits read by Brock. Eye contact, preventing him from making the change. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Enganza Media Incorporated. Why would I listen to your lies when the journey to the truth is so much sweeter? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. These rules are in place for good reason, and they are the only reason we have survived this long. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. We are getting reports on what appears to be a mass cleansing. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. We fought our greatest battle in our darkest hour. After centuries of war between vampire and lichen, this may at last be a time of peace.
he was rescued by vampire assassin or death dealer named Celine, played by Ket Beckinsale. Kate. What? You might want to say Kate. You said Ket. Played by Kate Beckinsale. Yeah, we're so close, I just call her Ket. <laughs> <laughs> when you're hanging out with Michael and <laughs> Lynn. <laughs> I'll never tell him what you say about these movies, Stuart. I'll keep it between just you and me. Okay, <laughs> mm, yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> but what will you tell him what you think of them? <laughs> I love your films, Len. Just great stuff. Just like I did to the director of Fanboys. <laughs> oh, that actually makes me mad that you lied to him. That man needs to hear the honest truth. It's such an awful film. Oh, I hate that movie so much. 